Fourth wave, market trust. The fourth wave, market trust, is the level at which almost everyone clearly understands the impact of trust. The underlying principle behind this wave is reputation. It's about your company brand as well as your personal brand, which reflects the trust customers, investors, and others in the marketplace have in you. Everyone knows that brands powerfully affect customer behavior and loyalty. When there is a high-trust brand, customers buy more, prefer more, and give the benefit of the doubt and stay with you longer. This material will help you not only improve your own brand and reputation as an individual, it will also help you improve your organization's brand and reputation in the marketplace. The fifth wave, societal trust, is about creating value for others and for society at large. The principle underlying this wave is contribution. By contributing or giving back, we counteract the suspicion, cynicism, and low trust inheritance taxes within our society. We also inspire others to create value and contribute as well. Depending on our roles and responsibilities, we may have more or less influence as we move out throughout each successive wave. However, we all have extraordinary influence on the first two waves, and this is where we need to begin. As we move through the book, it will become clear that even trust at the societal level, the fifth wave, can specifically be traced back to issues at the individual level, the first wave, and that individual trust issues actually become geometrically multiplied as we move outward throughout the waves. For example, trust issues at the individual level with certain Enron leaders initially ripple throughout their relationships and organization and eventually into the marketplace and society at large. The ripple effect was magnified by further out it went, ultimately becoming one of the primary triggers that brought about significant reform, the Sarbanes-Oakley Act, This puts premium on always starting at the first wave with ourselves. The second deal, this final section, deals with inspiring trust. This includes learning how to extend smart trust to avoid gullibility, blind trust on one hand, and suspicion, distrust on on the other, to find out that sweet spot where extending trust creates big dividends for everyone. It also includes restoring trust and increasing your propensity to trust, While there is a risk in trusting other people, there is far greater risk in not trusting them. The ability to know when and how to extend smart trust will enable you to move to the fulcrum over and create incredible leverage so that you can get things done with greater speed and lower cost. Perhaps even more importantly, it will inspire and release those to whom you extend trust. Restoring trust. Before we move into our discussion of the five waves, I want to take a moment to reaffirm that it is possible not only to build trust, but but also to restore it. Obviously, there are some circumstances in which trust has truly been damaged beyond repair or where others may not give us a chance to restore it. But I'm convinced that for the most of us, these circumstances are few and our ability to restore trust is much, much greater than we think. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. This is a Chinese proverb. Consider the experience of Tom, who had been with 
a large real estate development company for years, ultimately becoming a partner in the firm. At one point, the real estate market turned upside down and the company began to split apart. A lot of infighting ensued and Tom left the company. A lawsuit was filed. A counter lawsuit was filed. As a major partner, Tom had an economic interest in dozens of buildings. Incredibly, after several years, the discovery and due diligence of the litigation process were still going on. Finally, Tom decided there must be a better way. He called Chris, the partner who was then in charge of the business, and said, Let's talk. Just the two of us without our attorneys. Tom and Chris had been partners for several years, but in the midst of everything that had been going on, the trust had fallen apart. However, Chris agreed to the meeting. Tom went in with the intent to genuinely seek to understand Chris's point of view. He listened. He verbally reflected back his understanding of what Chris was saying. Once Chris felt understood, he was willing to listen to Tom. As they interacted, a measure of the trust these former business partners had once shared was quickly rekindled. Even though circumstances split them apart, they felt the connection, and in that very meeting, they were able to agree on a handshake deal to resolve the dispute. Through the process of listening and restoring a portion of the trust that had once been there, these two men created a solution they could implement in 30 days, and they ended up they ended the rancor, the pain, the time drain, and the money drain that had been part of an ongoing legal battle for several years. While corporate, corporate leadership still has a long way to go in restoring trust, the research makes one thing crystal clear. Americans expect CEOs to take the lead, make a meaningful connect, commitment to trust binding, be accountable, and deliver on the promise of trust through corporate behavior. This is a quote from Rich Jernstead, CEO of Golan Harris. For another example, consider the relationship between former U.S. Presidents John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. These two men were the voice of the Declaration of the were the voice and the pen, respectively, of the Declaration of Independence, and labored tirelessly for America's independence from Great Britain. Brought together as ambassadors in Paris between the American and French revolutions, neither of them knowing what was in store for the United States or France or for each other, they grew exceptionally close. Jefferson became like a father to Adams' son, John Quincy, and was ardently admired by the Adams' wife, Abigail, who referred to him as one of the choice ones of the earth. On returning to the United States, however, these two men espoused different political views, which put a strain on their friendship. In accordance with the t- law at the time, when Adams, a Federalist, was elected pres- a second president of the United States, Jefferson, as a Republican, became vice president by default, having received the second greatest number of votes. Adams expected the same t- kind of support and friendship from his vice president, that Adams had shown George Washington when he had served in that position. Instead, it seemed that Adams, uh, to Adams, that Jefferson was disloyal, extremely partisan, and politically ambitious. By the end of Adams's presidency, their relationship was filled with rancor and bitterness. Years later, their mutual friend, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was also a signer of the Declaration of Independence, encouraged Adams to extend an olive branch to Jefferson. 
Adams did so, sending a Happy New Year's note wishing Jefferson good health and happiness. Jefferson immediately responded. Delighted at the prospect of a renewed friendship, he wrote, A letter from you calls up recollections very dear to my mind. It carried me back to times when, beset with different difficulties and danger, we were fellow laborers in the same cause, struggling for what is most valuable to man, his right of self-government. Adams wrote to their mutual friend Rush, declaring, your dream is out. You have wrought wonders. You have made peace between the powers that that were never at war. Later, when Adams brought a letter to read to John, uh, from Thomas Jefferson at a family gathering, he was asked how he could be on such good terms with a man from whom he had suffered so much abuse. He replied, I do not believe Mr. Jefferson ever hated me. On the contrary, I believe he always liked me. Then he wished to be the President of the United States, and I stood in his way. So he did everything that he could to pull me down. But if I should quarrel with him for that, I might quarrel with every man I have had anything to do with in life. This is human nature. I forgive all my enemies and hope they may find mercy in heaven. Mr. Jefferson and I have grown old and retired from public life, so we are upon our ancient terms of goodwill. Adams and Jefferson enjoyed a rich and satisfying friendship and correspondence for 14 years before they both passed away, amazingly, on the same day, the 4th of July, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the American Declaration of Independence. Among Adams' most memorable words to Jefferson were these, While I breathe, I shall be your friend. See, speak, behave. The purpose of this book is to enable you to see, speak, and behave in ways that establish trust. And all three dimensions are vital. Remember the story I shared in the previous chapter of the Montana fishing guide who gave me glasses to see the fish beneath the river's surface? This book will give you a pair of trust glasses so that you'll be able to see trust in an entirely different and exciting way, a way that will open your eyes to the possibilities and enable you to increase trust and the dividends of trust on every level. It will also give you the language to speak about trust. Sometimes you know that you don't trust someone or someone doesn't trust you, but you can't explain why and you don't know how to improve that situation. This book will enable you to name the underlying issues involved and it will help you it will give you the language to describe those issues and talk about and resolve them. Finally, this book will help you develop the behaviors that establish and grow trust, particularly the 13 behaviors of high trust people and leaders worldwide. As you learn about these behaviors and recognize the impact when people practice them and when they don't, you will understand how you can behave in ways that quickly build enduring trust. Much has been said about the importance of changing paradigms and changing behavior. In other words, changing the way you see will automatically change what you do and the results you get. And I agree that a new way of seeing, a paradigm shift, has an enormous impact on doing and on results. However, from a pragmatic standpoint, I am equally convinced that speaking and behaving differently can also have an enormous impact on the way you see and the results you get. The very act of serving someone, for example, can quickly cause you to see that person differently. 
even to feel love and compassion, which you have not felt before. I call this behavior shift, a shift in which our behaviors ultimately bring about a shift in the way we see the world. I'm also convinced of the power of the language shift. The way that we talk about things can also create a shift in how we see and how we behave, as well as in how others see us. See leads back and forth to behave. Behave leads back to see. It also leads forward to shift, to speak, and speak leads to see but speak can also lead back to behave. Clearly, these three dimensions are independent, interdependent, and whenever you affect a change in one dimension, you affect a change in all three. For this reason, this book will focus on see, speak, and behave, so that you will have not only the paradigms, but also the language and the behaviors needed to establish and grow trust. Making it happen... With an understanding of the speed of trust comes some of the issues around trust at every level and how trust works. We're now ready to move into the actionable steps that make establishing, restoring, and extending trust possible. As you go through the remaining sections in this book, keep in mind that whatever your role at work or at home, you are an influencer. You are a leader, even if only for of yourself. Over time, I have come to the simple definition of leadership. Leadership is getting results in a way that inspires trust. It's maximizing both your current contribution and your ability to contribute in the future by establishing the trust that makes it possible. This means are as important as the ends. How you go about achieving results is as important as the results themselves. Because when you establish trust, you increase your ability to get results the next time. And there's always next time. To get things done in ways that destroy trust is not only short-sighted and counterproductive, it is ultimately unsustainable. As the courageous explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton put it, Life, to me, is the greatest of all games. The danger lies in treating it as a trivial game, a game to be taken lightly, and a game in which the rules don't matter much. The rules matter a great deal. The game has to be played fairly, or it is no game at all. And even to win the game, it is not the chief end. The chief end is to win it honorably and splendidly. Here's another quote. Trust is absolutely key. To long-term success. This is Jim Burke, former chairman and CEO of Johnson & Johnson. I encourage you to engage fully in this material. Ask the hard questions. Take the jugular issues head-on. As I've focused on trust in my own life and with thousands of people and hundreds of organizations worldwide, I have become convinced that this approach is based on principles that are self-evident and universal and bring positive results. I have no hesitation in assuring you that these, that as you apply these principles in your own life, you will see immediate benefits. You will build long-term capacity. You will build stronger, more sustainable relationships. You will get a better outcome. You will have more opportunities more influence, more fun. You will learn how to establish, grow, restore, and extend 
the one thing that dramatically impacts everything else in your life. Trust.